Praise the Lord. Thank you, Ron. Isn't it exciting that we have the great privilege and honor and opportunity and pleasure to hold up our Bible? I love the Word. I love the Word of God, and I love what it means, and I love the freedom that we have as, as Christians to be able to have the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, if you would please turn with me to Psalm chapter 33, verse 12. Psalm chapter 33, verse 12. And today we celebrate the birthday of our nation. A lot has happened over the last 245 years. A group of people left England to start a colony at Cape Cod, Virginia. They left England because the king was endorsing a state church. These people wanted to worship Christ without the mandates of the king. And on November 11, 1620, the first charter of government was adopted and signed in the new land. This document was what? The Mayflower Compact. In part, here's what it states. In the name of God, Amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dreaded sovereign Lord, King James. By the grace of God of England, France, and Ireland, King, defender of the faith, and having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern part of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and in one another covenant and combined ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. The first charter of our present government makes it clear that this nation was founded under and for Christian principles. This country was founded to what? To advance the Christian faith. Today, there are many organizations and political parties that are trying to push Christianity out of our nation and make it where the name of our God cannot be mentioned in public. And it says here in Psalm chapter 33, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He chose for His inheritance. Today's message is going to be just a little bit different as I go through a timeline and a series of who we are, why we celebrate Christ. But on July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed. In part, it stated this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator in certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Even our Declaration of Independence states that our Creator blessed us with this nation for the purpose of the freedom to worship our Lord without persecution. Isn't that good news? And it says in Psalms 33, 12, Blessed is the nation, again, whose God is the Lord and the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. The Northwest Ordinance of August 7, 1789 even stated that religion was necessary for good government. And it states in part... Religion, listen, 
Morality and knowledge being essential to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall be forever encouraged. Our forefathers knew that without religion and our government and schools, we were doomed for what? For self-destruction. The first textbook used in our school system was the Holy Bible. Today, in most schools, the Bible cannot be opened up. Our forefathers were concerned about our religious freedom, so they even included in the First Amendment of our Constitution, June 15th and 1790, it said in Amendment 1, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble to petition the government for redress of grievances. It states that no laws or judgments could be made prohibiting our freedom to worship, nor could the government force its citizens to worship a certain religion or be a member of a certain denomination because we have not followed Christ's teachings to be salt and light of the world. We have allowed our nation to turn away from its Christian roots. Here are some examples. In 1948, and I'm going to take you on this little journey this morning. I know it's a little bit different. But I, I wanted to bring out these statistics because I found it interesting for myself as well. Because of what we've gone through through this past year in this pandemic, I've watched even Christians have a way of falling away from the church. And it's concerning to me. Because I love Christ and I want people to come back. Church, do you believe that we're in a time where revival can really explode and take place in the church. Amen. And I know that we're in a time. It's during this time that you'll notice all throughout Scripture that whenever hardship took place, revival was coming, provision was coming, and it was taking place. In 1948, it is a violation of the Establishment Clause for Jewish, Catholic, or Protestant religious instruction in public school buildings. Things started to change in 1962. The daily recitation of prayer in public schools is unconstitutional. Daily school-directed reading of the Bible and daily recitation of the Lord's Prayer violates the Establishment Clause. In 1980, the court struck down a state law requiring public schools to post the Ten Commandments. Amazing to think about, isn't it? 1985, a state law requiring a moment of meditation or voluntary prayer was struck down as an establishment of religion because the intent was religious. In 1992, a minister cannot offer prayer at a public school graduation. In 2000, the court struck down a school district's policy that allowed an elected student to open football games with a public prayer. And here we are today. And I'm going to be talking to you today about this title, State of the Nation, Yet Signs of the Time. And here we are. People are trying to remove the word God from our Pledge of Allegiance. The U.S. Supreme Court has struck down state sodomy laws. The acceptance of marriages between two men or two women is considered legal and moral. Pornography is now considered free speech and legal. The killing of a third trimester 
unborn baby is legal and considered a choice instead of murder. After September 11th, 2001, you would think we would have seen a revival in this nation. But the opposite occurred. Because of 9-11, we have seen movements in our mainstream denominations to accept the teaching that all religions worship the same God. This is an abomination to our one and only true God. The Bible tells us, in the end times, many will fall away from true doctrine. There will be many false religions and false prophets or preachers. And that's found in Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 through 13. After 9-11, how'd that come out? 9-11, sound a little southern. My southern voice always tries to come out, doesn't it? After 9-11, Byron School District in California required, chant praises to Allah. Pray in the name of Allah. Stage their own jihad, dress up as Muslims and choose new Muslim names. God blessed our forefathers with a Christian nation. We have turned it into a nation that does not honor God anymore. Can I repeat that for you? God blessed our forefathers with a Christian nation. And we have turned it into a nation that does not honor God anymore. Well, but pastor, why are you preaching this on, on the day when it's such a celebration? And because I believe the Lord laid it on my heart a week ago. I've never, people could say, well, there's, there's a difference between church and state. But I believe that the state has come in and tried to influence the church. And so we've got to stop it and look at what... Psalm chapter 33, verse 12 says, It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. And I'll be breaking this down. Now, I'm going to look into signs of end times. Now, should any of this surprise us? The Bible has a lot to say about the end times. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at, first of all, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. It's just a few of the prophecies. In verse 4 it says, But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Here Daniel is telling us that in the end times there will be a thirst for knowledge. Interesting, isn't it? And that knowledge will greatly increase. From the Garden of Eden to 19th century men walked or rode horses. During the last hundred years, man has invented the automobile, the jet plane, and the space shuttle. We now can travel from New York to Paris in less time than it took Jesus to travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. We can send an email around the world in matters of seconds. Just a few years ago, it would take days to send a letter to a friend. With the invention of the TV in the last 60 years and the invention of satellites in the last 30 years, we can see events from all over the world as they are actually happening. Compare the increase of knowledge of the last 50 years to that of the last 6,000 years and you will see no comparison. But yet Jesus, in His sovereignty and His love, as He was preaching... He gave us other indications of his return. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 through 8. Now listen, and this this verse has been brought up to me over and over again over the last year. Because the question was asked to me, Pastor, where are we? Are we in the end times? Are there signs of it? And here's what the Word of God says. You will hear wars and rumors of war. 
But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In verse 7 of Matthew 24, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. There have always been wars. You and I know that. But they are becoming more frequent with greater intensity. Ladies, you understand what Christ meant of birth pains. The closer you get to the time for the appearing of your newborn baby, the greater the pain becomes with increasing frequency. Why do we get epidurals? My daughter ended up with an epidural because she didn't want to experience that birth pain. I believe that we are going to suffer as a Christian nation as time gets closer. And that's what is the prophetic message. So at the question that I'm asking you this morning, have you picked up the cross of Christ? What have you sacrificed for Christ? What are you doing in your walk with Christ? So it will be with the coming of our Lord. Wars will become more frequent with a greater threat of destruction. Christ also said that there would be an increase in famines. Thousands of children in third world countries are dying of starvation and diseases every single day. Luke also wrote that there would be an increase in pestilences and diseases. Look at the HIV AIDS crisis. Look at the West Nile virus being carried by mosquitoes. Again, look at the crisis. Look at the outbreak of the SARS virus in this past year with the coronavirus. What about earthquakes and natural disasters? Listen to these statistics. I found this all interesting, and I hope you do today. There were 253 earthquakes recorded in the 16th century. There were 378 in the 17th century. There were 640 earthquakes in the 18th century. There were 2,119 earthquakes in the 19th century. Many would explain this away by not having the technology to detect earthquakes until the 20th century. But the number of recorded earthquakes recorded has risen from 2,000. 588 in 1983 to 4,084 in 1992, and from 2000 to 2019 have been 1,637. In 2003, we saw over 270 killer tornadoes. I can't get my R's out today. Tornadoes occur in just two days. In 2020, 1248. 1,248 tornadoes reported in the United States. So now watch. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Because it seems to me that the birth pains are becoming more and more frequent. Would you agree? And my R's are becoming more lax than they should be. But I like what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good 
or lovers of God. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with them. Isn't that amazing part of the New Testament? Doesn't this describe our world that we live in, our nation, our community, our homes, even our churches today? I I don't have time to go into each topic, but this passage is pretty much self-explanatory. We put everything in our lives before God. We attend church. There isn't anything better to do. Or if there's going to be a lunch after the service. We will give our tithes to God if we have any money left. After buying that new car and of course buying that lottery ticket. If it is opening day of hunting season, we have to skip church that day. And what about the NBA playoff or the World Series? Or the NASCAR race that is on TV that Sunday morning? With all that is going on in my life, I just don't have time to go to church. But I will on Easter Sunday, or or maybe I'll I'll try Christmas. That's if I'm just not too tired. So church, here's, here's the important question this morning. Is God really first in our lives? Let me ask you, is God really first in our lives? Is Christ really the Lord of our lives? Do we love God more than we love our pleasures? In Isaiah chapter 66, it tells us that a nation will be reborn in just a day. And when the Romans attacked Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroyed the temple, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the entire world. On May 15, 1948, the United Nations announced that they have formally Recognize the state of Israel. Thus, the nation of Israel was reborn in a day, just as Isaiah had predicted thousands and thousands of years later. But you see, this had to happen before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we see thousands of Jews returning to the promised land. This too has to happen before the return of Christ, as prophesied by Jeremiah. In chapter 23. But again I go back to Psalm chapter 33 verse 12. And we're going to break it down. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom he has chosen. For his own inheritance. Are we looking forward? Are we living our lives looking forward to the promised return of our Lord? Are we excited knowing that we will spend eternity in heaven with Christ? And we should be. If we have accepted Christ as our Savior. As Christians, we have a command to go out and to preach the good news to everyone, to every single person. Church, we are to be witnesses to the lost. We are to love everyone. The question is, are you concerned about others around you? Do you care about others around you? And have you told them about Jesus. There's signs of the times. I believe we are near the time of Christ's return. The question is, are you ready? Whether he comes today or even a hundred years from now. 
We are to live our lives as if we were, as if He were coming in the next few moments. If He had come yesterday, what would Jesus have found you doing? What's your relationship with Him? Where are you at in your walk with Him? Listen, it's not just about coming to church. It's about being the church. When we started this church 16 years ago, I said it wasn't about religion. It was about a relationship. I had already experienced religion at its height. But today I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. I like this song, but I'm proud to be a Christian, where at least I know I'm free. I'm thankful for that. I want to say this in the next few minutes as I wind down the service and bring it to a close. If you have your Bible, I think it's important for me to take all the facts that we have and now bring them into a place where we could be challenged in our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that when God put this text on my heart, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. But if you have your Bible, turn in Second Chronicles 7.14. We know this part of passage. You've heard me quote it. And yet many of us will use it during Memorial Day and, and things like this. But I'm going to br- kind of break it down just to, over the next few minutes for you. And here's what it says. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the Lord says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. See, the healing of the land comes when the people of God turns to Him where they seek His face and not His hands. He says, if my people humble themselves, pray and seek His face, and turn from their wicked ways. So, who is the Lord referring to? He says, my people. He says, if my people, those who are called by my name, referring to the Israelites then, and then to us today the ones who are called by His name, the ones who know Him and seek Him in the temple of God. We have a part to play for the healing of the land. The nation is blessed because of the people of God that humble themselves, pray, and seek Him and turn from their wicked ways. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and His people He chose for His inheritance. This is quite straightforward to me. And the reason why I've made this repetitive this morning because it says, if we, His people, placed in this land, are not going to seek Him, then who will? If we, His people, in this land, do not seek Him, who will? Who are we expecting to pray that God's will be done? The Lord speaks specifically to His people. We have the ones with the responsibility to seek Him and pray for the good of the nation. If God is going to bless this land, listen church, it will come through His people who are humble enough to seek His face, to seek God. So the Lord says, 
If my people, meaning it is not always the case, we don't always understand the need for this. The Lord says, if my people. Maybe some of us don't understand. We're not humble enough to recognize our sinful ways and our need for God. Do you hear me, church? Maybe some of us just aren't humble enough to recognize our sinful ways and our need for God. But if my people do understand and they turn to me, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So there's three quick points. And when I say quick, I mean quick. Unless the Holy Spirit comes swooping in here and then it's going to be one of those long messages. Point number one. Let's pray that the people of God in this nation will do this. Humble themselves. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Can I make this personal with you? Are we so distracted by the idols and material things of this earthly life, of this world, that it's so difficult for us to humble ourselves before a great and almighty God who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who came, who died for our sins, He humbled himself in the form of man and died and his name was Jesus. When was the last time you could say, okay, pastor, I know I've looked inwardly. I'm always looking outwardly. It's so easy for me to look at other people and to not humble myself. But I understand what the scripture says and and I understand who it was for. and, and, And I understand that it was for the Israelites yet Today I understand the grace of God in the New Testament. Yet maybe this was for the Old Testament. But I do believe that in here I know and I understand that I am a born again child of God. But it's difficult for me to humble myself. What does that mean? Humility means when you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. For where your face is turned is where your focus goes. Have you humbled yourself? Have you sought Him out? Have you seeked Him out? You like that? Was that grammatically and grammatically right? No. But it was in the message today. Are you seeking his face? Sometimes it's hard to do what I do. But I know this. He says, God gives grace to the humble. God gives his unmerited favor. Do you know that's what grace means? To people of humility. To people that just say, here I am, God. You know, being in the ministry for 30 years, I now have experienced all kinds of twists and turns, bumpy roads, stumbling blocks, hurdles, all kinds of things. And I've seen from every perspective. And I know God has, has humbled me. And he's brought me to my knees because I was too proud to humble myself and to seek his face. And God said, well, fine, Todd. I know how to get you there. I'll put you on your knees. I'll humble you. When was the last time you said, God, change me, refine me, mold me, change me, 
Refine me. Mold me. Man, do I want to be like you. Now get this. Quite a different way of praying when you say, God, can I be humbled today? Think about that. We We don't start our prayers off like that. We understand the great prayer of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We know how we're to esteem, we esteem Father God, but as we go down to the part where it says, give us our needs, give us our bread, give us our daily bread, we talk about the things we need, but we never say, God, humble me so I'm more like you and less like me. That would be different, wouldn't it? It would sure change our perspective. Why are we here today, church? We're here today to change. Be the change. Humble yourself. If you humble yourself, you'll start to see God's unmerited grace and favor will start to flow. And things will start opening up and opportunity will open up that you never thought would ever happen. But see, you have to get to the end of yourself to get to the beginning of God. You have to surrender to His will and to His way. Number one, humble themselves. Number two, acknowledge God. Acknowledge God. Seek and pray and seek His face. In Psalm 33, 16 through 19, it says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him. On those whose Hope is in the unfailing love. Deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. God makes the difference. Many years ago I preached a message on seeking the face of God. You know, when my kids, when I was raising the girls, and I could say I will probably be like that with my granddaughters, but I won't be. Because when they come around now, I melt. And like, now I understand why people are like, that baby doesn't need a spanking. No, well, that's why when you get older, you become a grandparent instead of a parent. Amen? And, uh, you know, because when, when the girls walk in or come in, I can't help but get goo-goo-gaga all over them, right? Because they're so cute. And what is with an infant that just grins when they're sleeping? I know it's gas. I wanted to think it was me when, like, when she heard my voice. Hi, it's Papa. And she grins real big. I want her to think that it's really me, but I know better. And, uh, but raising the girls, I would always tell them, look at me. Remember this? I mean, you didn't let your toddler go out there and run around the street while you're trying to discipline them inside the church, right? No, you stop them. And you say, turn and look at me. Look at me. And if you don't, you grab their head and you turn and look at them. You know why? Because you're getting their attention. Right? So they're, as a father, as a mother, as a parent, we're grabbing their attention. Much like our Heavenly Father, who is the father to the fatherless, grabs our attention. But I love what it says here. He starts off with saying, seek my face. Why? Because he says, Listen, child, you're one of mine. So I acknowledge it today. So if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and seek my face. So for me, when the girls would look at me, 
they knew something was going to happen because, you see, I didn't yell. I whispered. And they're like, oh, no, Dad's whispering. That means I'm in deep, deep trouble. But I looked at them in the eye. Why did I do that? I wanted to, one, discern their spirit. And two, I wanted them to know that I was serious, that you're going to get a spanking. And they didn't like that, but they knew by the look on my face that something was wrong. Even to this day, my daughters will walk up to me. My wife will walk up to me. Dad, are you okay? Why do you have a scowl like this? I do. Maybe I'm in deep thought. I don't know, but nobody's in trouble. (laughs) It's all good right now. But we all know that feeling, right? Your kids know that look, right? Or if you say things like, Lindsay Elizabeth Ann, she knows she's in trouble, right? But it's weird when you have so many kids, then you name them all kinds of things like, uh, Caitlin, Charm, Victoria, Megan, whoever you are, get over here. But I believe what the scripture is saying here is this. If we seek the face of God, if we look into the face of God, we'll understand how much love that he has for us. So it says here to acknowledge God. And the only way we can acknowledge Him is to put all the distractions aside, put all the things that are in your life aside and seek the face of God. He makes the difference. And the third point, seek righteousness. Turn from our wicked ways. You know what that means? It means to repent. The land, America, will be blessed because of this turning. When God's people follow God's ways, they will see God's blessings. When God's people follow God's ways, they will see God's blessings. Amen? 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 Amen. 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 Okay, I'm just trying to get you all going here. Because I believe it. If we follow God's ways, we will then receive God's blessings. His word is true. The Lord says, if then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. It starts with us. It has to start with us. People who know God and honor Him. Revival starts with us. One more thought before we pray this morning. It says in verse 13, God said, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name... God sends wake-up calls to His people. He says when He shuts up the heavens, we saw the drought, or command the locusts, or send a plague. Clearly, God does this, not because He doesn't care. He does it because He cares. He does it because He loves you. Through these sufferings, God gets the attention of His people. Come back to me. Pray and seek me. Turn from your sinful ways. I want to forgive your sin. I want to heal your land. That's his message. It's simple. If we look at our nation and find growing problems, listen, church, these are the wake-up calls. Church, God is calling us to return to him. Do you hear me? 
God is calling us to return to Him. These problems should drive us to repent and return to God, to seek Him and to pray. So let's pray. Let's remember this Independence Day. Pray that God's name be glorified in our land. Are you praying that? Do you believe that you're an intricate part? Maybe for some of you, you don't know your place. Maybe for some, you do know your place in Christ. It says, if my people, I'm glad to be a part of the family of God. So if you would, please stand with every head bowed and every eye closed as the praise team comes. I'm thankful for the freedoms that I have. And that we too can worship our God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's just pray this morning that God would do His work in us. Heavenly Father, we come before You acknowledging You as our God and our Lord. And today, Father, we are utterly dependent upon You. Thank You for Your promise to bless us if we trust and obey You completely. We pray and ask that You help us humble ourselves, not only today, but every day. Hear our prayers, God. Forgive our sins and heal our land. Father, You know that we've been a very proud and arrogant people, and as individuals, even churches, and as a nation, You alone have blessed us. But we've taken Your blessing for granted. We felt we have achieved it. We have become the me generation, Father. Absorbed with our own lives, material possessions, and comfort. Father, forgive us. Help us to see where we truly stand before you. You alone are worthy of our love and devotion. Help us to submit to you, Father. Today, many have ignored you and neglected your word. We have not worshipped you as the Almighty God and nor have we served and obeyed you as we ought. If you are walking in pure devotion to you, worshipping you wholeheartedly, praying earnestly for your will to be done and day feeding upon your word. If you have given ourselves to do your will and labor diligently to finish your work. Many have been complacent, Father, disobedient, and unfaithful to your call. Oh God, forgive us, Lord. So Father, help us turn back to you, Lord, as the living water and the bread of life. Help us not fail you as the light of our world and salt of the earth. Help us, Father, to be like Christ. So, Father in heaven, you rule over the nations. You raise up leaders and you set them down. We acknowledge your authority over the United States of America. Thank you for your blessings. Keep our leaders clear of corruption and help them lead with integrity and compassion for the people. Let no wicked ways take root in this land. Let righteousness, justice, and truth rule. And Father, today we ask that you'll intervene, Lord, and bring revival to the church. 
Awaken your people and draw us back to you. Help us to seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. Lord, forgive us. Heal our land. Revive your people. Set our hearts aflame with the desires for righteousness and a deep love for people, especially the poor, the weak, the marginalized in our society. Father, protect our marriages and our families. And God, we ask all of this in your holy name, in the precious name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.